So y'all have heard me talk a lot about our harsh winter climates and how we homestead among the blizzards and the windstorms and all of that fun stuff. But today I am bringing on some special guests to talk about the other side of harsh climate homesteading. How can you homestead in the desert? Is it even possible? We're going to find out today, and I am so excited to welcome Tara and Chad. Thanks for coming. Hi, we're so happy to be here. Yeah, so just start us off. Tell us a little bit about your guys' homestead, where you're located, what your zone is, all that good stuff. Yes, okay, so I'm Tara, and this is my husband, Chad. Um, We are actually located in the Southern California Mojave Desert, so... It is Joshua trees, tumbleweeds, and a lot of dirt. Um, And I always desired that farm lifestyle, that homesteading where you're just getting back to the basics. And we always like knew that this was home for us. We never really had that um, opportunity to leave and actually pursue a farm life. So one day I told him, I was like, I need greenery. We need to figure something out. And he was Uh like, how do you expect to do that? And I was like, I don't know. Like, let's just try. Um, and so we actually got straw bells and Chad helped me yeah. learn how to compost the straw bells in order to grow in those. And then that covered um, our ground with some mulch. And from there we were like, wow, if we just mulch the ground, you know, it'll hold some moisture. We could probably grow more things. Um, and so we started building from there and realized like zone 8B, even though we're in the desert, it's a really good growing zone. Um, so we just kind of started expanding from there and he really got into fruit trees. He's growing a banana tree. Like we just learned that because of the sun and how much of the sun we have throughout the year, we actually are in a pretty good growing zone. Um, we just took that brown dry desert and had this perspective that we just couldn't do it here. Sure. And and change that perspective and realize like we really could do things. It's just changing your perspective. Absolutely. So you guys were there for like family reasons or did you grow up there? We grew up here. We've both been here 30 years um, and never really knew anything outside of this. Just brown, dry desert. And we're like, yeah, I thought this was fine. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't think it was too brown. (laughs) But when you look around at other places, uh, when they're growing stuff, it's a big difference. Yeah. So when you decided to start homesteading, it was kind of like, well, we're not going to move. So we're just going to like bloom where we're planted and make this work sort of thing. Yes. That was my thing. Um, Because I was super discontent here. I was like, why is everything brown? I desired that farm life. I wanted a cow. And, and for me, my perspective was, is that animal cruelty to like bring a cow into the middle of the desert and expect it to like thrive in this dry climate? Um, And from there, I was like, you know what, let's do some research. Let's figure this out. Like we can build a beautiful um, growing homestead here if we put in the hours and we just work around with what God has given us. So it was this perspective of live the life you want right where you're at. And then from there, like you can just um, my my hope was always that we would leave and I could take that knowledge elsewhere and, and really build on that. And we're kind of walking into that season right now, but for the last, what, four, three, about five years, I'd say. Yeah. We've been yeah. building a homestead in the Southern California Mojave desert. Yeah. So, so give me, or it's like kind of paint the picture for me. Cause I've never been there. And for readers who are not readers, listeners who might not know, I've been a blogger for too long. Um, so if let's say if you're out in the native landscape, 
there's no grass. I'm assuming there's like no grass growing. There's minimal like nope. brush trees. Like what, what do you have for native animals, plants, that sort of vibe? So what's really funny, something that like we kind of joke about, if you go up into the mountain areas, most people are going to swerve because they see a deer. Mm-hmm. You're going to see people swerving for a tumbleweed. Like that's <laughs> what it's like out here. Um, yeah. And, and the famous Joshua tree. I mean, that's pretty much yeah. what you see. Okay. And then the, the juniper berries, we have those juniper berry bushes. And that's about the greenest uh, plant that, yeah. that you see out here. Everything else is just little shrubs and weeds. Okay. Maybe that's a it. few cactuses here and there. Not, not as much as you would get like in Arizona, um, but it is literally just brown dirt and maybe a Joshua tree and some tumbleweeds. Okay. Yeah. So you're, there's not grass, like grass is not. No, okay. no meadows, no <laughs> fields, nothing no like weeds. that. The weeds are the greenest thing after a rain. <laughs> okay. Okay. And how hot does it get there in the summer? Oh gosh. Probably what? 110 sometimes, but usually it kind of hangs out around a hundred for most of the, the summertime. Okay. And what's actually crazy is because we're in a valley, um, we're just under some mountains. So even though we're a desert climate, we'll actually get snow, you know, occasionally throughout the winter. And so some of the fruit trees that we've tried to grow or some of the things that we've tried to push our our limits to in our climate, we actually do get a little cold. So we go from that extreme hot to cold right away. And most people assume like the desert, you can grow all year long, but we have limits within our growing zone, even in the desert. So what what does that look like? Like when will you plant? Do you, I mean, can you even grow in the summer there? Cause I know like some places in Texas, they, or like Arizona, they might like stop growing. So what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Well, um, so for example, like in the, in the springtime, we can, you know, plant our seeds outside and get growing with those brassicas, those lettuces, um, maybe even herbs, but for the most part, they'll all bolt before I get a huge harvest from them. So um, he actually built me a pergola for one of our raised beds so we could provide shade just for my cooler crops. Yeah. Yeah. And then how late can you, I mean, so after you plant, like how, how long can your season go? I mean, it's just like probably quite a ways. So this year it was a little crazy. Um, Like I said, sometimes we'll get snow and sometimes we don't. Um, I actually had tomatoes in December this year. Okay. Like, full tomato plant just growing. Um, but then the next week you have to rush to mulch his banana tree because that'll completely die back. Yeah. That's... Um, and we'll get just an instant cold like a lot of other climates, but you guys are probably more used to when your snow falls. Whereas for us, like the desert is just kind of like, well, here you go. Here's yeah, something new. One day it's summer. And then like <laughs> today it's, it's cold again and it yeah. shouldn't be as cold at this time of year, but it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard that about the desert, which always has surprised me. You know, we assume it's hot, hot, but they're like, when it gets cold, it gets cold fast and it's violent cold. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. And and it's almost this bipolar, like one day it's super windy, the next day it's super sunny. The next day it's like cold and you need a fire going. And then you'll have like a week or two of just heat, like scorching heat. And so it's always this juggle between um, every year, not really knowing what the desert's going to do. Cause I think being in Southern California, a lot of that is moving on to your guys' states and, and more into that, um, East coast. And so it comes from the West and just blows your guys's way and it'll pick up that wind or it'll pick up those clouds. And so we're kind of like, 
what's going on? And and you guys have already expected for a week now that you're sure. probably going to get a storm. Yeah. Yeah. We have more warning. You guys are just like, bam, here it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your water situation? Like, are you on a well or are you on city water? What does that look like? Yeah, we have county water. So, okay. but that is an issue out here we face in the desert because, uh, you know, all the stuff we grow requires constant water, but you have like tears in as much as we have, we're on the edge of going over every time we, yeah. we water. So that's what the mulching and all that comes in to really help. Yeah. And the city too, like, I guess because we are the desert, like if you move into some other cities closer to the beach, like their water usage is fine. They have no issues. They can run as much water as they want, but because we're considered the desert, they really do put those limits on us. So Typically, if I need to wash my um, vegetables, I'm washing them in the garden above my raised bed so I can, you know, make sure that water is actually going into the soil. Um, it's not being wasted and going down the drain. Another thing that we've done in the past that's, I mean, it's not the most convenient thing, but um, when we go to take showers, I will typically put a bucket in the shower. And when you're, you know, warming up that water that would just run down the drain, you can use that water and take that bucket later on out and water a fruit tree. You can water a couple, you know, potted plants through that. And so typically, um, you know, as long as it's not a crazy week and I'm not, you know, trying to rush three kiddos in the bath at one time, I will try and be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, conscious of that water usage. And I will make sure that I can repurpose that water in our, um, in our garden. And then also when it comes to our animals, um, I love having ducks on the farm. So mm. I typically will wash out their pool in the evening time. Once it's already past that, like water tier of that like high price water usage and kind of use it in the evening time when it's a lot cooler outside as well. So if you go over like your allotment, it's not that they'll like shut off your run out. It's just that you'll pay no. a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You'll pay more. So you okay. just want to be when you want to be, you know, aware of like what you're being charged, yes. but also just knowing that like if you're using water at the heat of the day, not only is it more expensive, it's going to take more water to water those plants or those animals. Do you guys, what's your rainfall like? So it's not like rainwater catchment is probably super viable. No. It's not yeah. an option to yeah. catch rainwater. Yeah, we got like zero rain this year. Yeah. Like, I don't even think we got, I don't know, six Maybe. inches or less. Yeah. I don't know the statistics, okay. but it was, it was not, not enough to make a difference at all. <laughs> yeah. Every, you know, years past, you'll get a good rain. I'm like, oh yes, I don't have to water my, my trees for like mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. Cause, we, but this past year, I don't remember getting any of that. No, we haven't gotten any rain. Um, and typically like, because, you know, we don't get a lot of rain. A lot of people will look at us, um, like through my Instagram or what I'm sharing. And they're like, well, why do you have so many fruit trees? Um, if you're in the gar or if you're in the desert and, you know, do you feel bad about doing that? But for us, it, it's, it's a way of life more than a s sustainability. Like it's mm. just not sustainable in the desert, yeah. but it's something that is important to us. And we really want to reach that back to the basics lifestyle and really know like where our food is coming from. We want to take care of animals in a respectful way and, and make sure that our kids are being involved in that. So it's something that like, we actually have to work towards and do as a hobby. Um, and so sometimes people get a little bit more sensitive with like, 
well, maybe you should have less fruit trees. And so something that I've always um, shared with people that are, you know, more concerned with the water um, fall in the desert and also like how much water usage we're using is just making sure that we're responsible with that water usage. Like I said, you know, taking a bucket of water that would likely just go down the drain and sit in, in a septic, I'm using that in my garden or sink water. Even if you're filling that up just to rinse some dishes or some vegetables, you can take a pitcher and you can take that water and go out and water a couple potted plants. And so that's really neat that we've found ways to make it um, not only sustainable for the desert, but sustainable for us. Yes. So it's interesting. You, you mentioned we're not sustainable in the traditional sense. And what you mean by that, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, is like you're still having to rely on those out those inputs more than like your average, yeah. maybe homes that are in the yeah. mountains or something like that. Yeah. And any, anywhere really, because we don't have, um, I think something that broke my heart early on was seeing so many people share their journey of like cutting their feed costs. Mm. And it would make me want to cry when I would go to the feed store because I'm like, I, I have, my husband has to work hard for this paycheck in order to pay feed costs. There's no alternative to, you know, even growing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Even what we grow in the garden, that's going to us. Like we don't have a lot of leftover to give to the animals growing crops for the animals isn't really an option either because then you have more water usage and the cost would outweigh the benefit yeah and so we we can't really use um any other means to make it sustainable in a way that the homestead pays for itself sure um and even when it comes to animals like doing their part composting um is actually kind of hard for us as well because we don't have grass clippings or um, uh, leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. in fall, we don't get yeah. any leaves to put in our compost. Like we have a Joshua tree that, you know, yeah. might fall over, yeah. but that thing's not going to decompose for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's even like something as small as composting is difficult for us because we have to use outside sources in order to, you know, um, create that mixture of greens and um, leaves that are breaking down in order to actually get that nutrient rich, you know, compost and not just manure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I, I think it's interesting, you know, you're, you're still making it work though, which I find so inspiring because I don't think there's a single home store. I mean, maybe a few super smug ones somewhere, but I don't know if there's a single home center who doesn't deal with comparison. Like even in my situation, like people look at us, I've since realized is like the the prairie homestead, the ultimate homestead. And I'm like, for years, I struggled with insecurity over, well, like this person has trees on their homestead and they're cutting their own firewood and I can never cut my own firewood and they have pigs in the trees. Yes. And I, you know, I just saw something the other day with this bold declaration on Instagram that silvo pasture was like the only way to run animals. And I'm like, you know, that's the, for those of you who aren't aware, that's like mixing pasture with woods. And I'm like, we do not, that's not a prairie thing. Prairies don't have that. Yes. So the minute I saw that, I was like, oh. Like, does that make me not, you know, just those moments of comparison. So I love though that, I mean, I think your experience in the desert, although maybe it's more amplified, it's still very normal compared, like we all are dealing with that, looking at someone else's homestead and like, well, I don't have what they have. Can I still do it? You guys, the answer for you has been yes, we will still do it, which I love. Yes. And it's really important to, because like you said earlier, to bloom where you're planted or to live the life that you want, like right where you are. Um, And whether that's an apartment or that's a condo and you just have a small, you know, backyard with some potted plants, 
that knowledge you're going to learn in just those few plants is going to really take you places. And for me, something that I'm really um, highlighting on my account is, you know, just being inside the home. There's things that I do like sourdough and I know you do as well, like canning. That is something that you can do inside your home. You don't need an acre, two acres or 20 acres to can. You need a kitchen. Um, and same with sourdough and I'll even like I crochet, my daughter crochets will knit. Those are, I think, homesteading skills or back to the basics, that traditional lifestyle skills where you don't need any acreage um, to be able to do those things. And that's something that I really try to highlight and share is that that comparison, you might be in a place where you don't have acreage, but that doesn't mean that there aren't skills that are considered homesteading or traditional that you can, you know, learn where you're at. Yes. And that are so important, especially in our day and age, like people need to have those traditional skills. Like they're more important than ever for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So back to the garden, I'm, I'm curious. So like, what do you use for mulch? You don't have grass clippings. That's what I use. You don't have leaves. What, what's your mulch of choice? So typically, um, he chased down a, a truck one time, a, a mulch trimmer. truck. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I seen him and I went after him and I got, I stopped him. I said, Hey, we need as much of that as you can get. He's like, really? I said, I'm telling you, I said, you can bring as much. And he yeah. came for like three months straight and he would bring us mulch from all around our area although there's not much you know they still need to trim the trees for the power lines and stuff and he was just bringing it and we were loading that up and we had a, a good supply of that and we've been running on that for a while now but it's it's out now so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the difficult thing with that is like he was saying we don't have trees so you're getting a lot of juniper berries you're getting these you know brush like yeah. weeds and so it it actually brings in a lot of weeds and so something that I've done is I've switched from pine shavings to straw. And so I'll just immediately take that from like the chicken coop and I'll dump that on the trees. I won't use it in the garden beds because you don't want to use that direct manure from the chickens. Um, but being able, like mulching the trees is an, is a continual thing because the wildlife out here is like, Ooh, free bedding. I'm going to come grab that. And so we're constantly like every week when he goes to water the trees, he's like, where'd the mulch go? I'm yeah. Like the squirrels were back there yeah. again, or the birds, man. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. and that's the thing too out here is um, wildlife. Like we really, really have. There's nothing out here. Yeah, for them. So they they uh, found they the green walk. area. So they they come and they try to get what they can. I feel like Bambi sometimes, or um, you know, like the Disney movie where like all the animals just come rushing into our yard, and we're like. No, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're an this oasis for us, but not for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we actually, um, we actually have to have, um, fences around everything. So, I mean, we don't deal with Bambi or deers themselves, but we do like squirrels, rabbits, kangaroo mice. They come like crazy. Even the birds, um, we'll get tons of birds just coming and plucking the seeds out. And I know a lot of gardeners deal with that, yeah. but for here, I mean, there's nothing out here. And yeah. so they love it here. Yeah. So you are the, the uh, buffet because <laughs> it's yeah. hard to find it elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and for years, our fruit trees, we have not, I mean, how long have we had them in the ground? About four, four years now. And we haven't had a harvest. The squirrels, rabbits, like they will climb that tree so fast and wipe it out. Like you'll see one day all of this beautiful fruit and you're like, I'm getting it tomorrow. Like we're going to yeah, get then, this fruit. 
the next day it's gone and you're like mm. i'm saving that one peach yeah. for today yeah we got enough trees that we get some but my favorite ones they've the squirrels beat me to it every year so yeah yeah they know they can smell it and it's ready uh-huh. yes <laughs> um i want to talk more about free trees in a minute because i'm really excited to hear your your game plan on that but what do you what do you grow in your garden like what are you able to grow consistently vegetable wise Vegetable wise. Okay. So radishes are really good. Um, I mean, carrots, any kind of root vegetable because of that scorching heat, it typically is root vegetables. Um, we'll grow a ton of flowers. I love calendula. I love drying a lot of my flowers so I can use them for things later on. Um, but as, as far as, um, like vegetables and fruits, typically squashes do really well because they love that heat. Um, we do good with strawberries too. We have a lot oh, of strawberries. Yes, we do. And within the strawberries, something that we've learned because strawberries like to send out all the runners, they like to, they're almost like a mulch for the ground. And so we'll typically plant our watermelon in with those and it'll lock in that moisture um, underneath like the little strawberry leaves. And so that whole ground kind of the watermelon and strawberries work together to provide shade to keep our ground from um, hardening and drying up from the sun. So those will do really, really well together. Um, But like my tomatoes and peppers, they'll get to a point where they're really, really slow to grow. And then once it's like that season to actually start harvesting and getting them to to grow abundantly, um, it'll get so hot where they're just constantly like leaning over from Mm -hmm. lack of moisture and needing more and more moisture. So I'm trying to learn how to um, companion plant better with them. So that way there's something locking in that moisture right underneath them. And they're not, you know, dispensing all of that moisture through their leaves. So it's honestly through the last five years, it's been such a learning experience with this climate to try and figure out what works well together to really provide that shade that's needed to keep the moisture locked into the soil. I can only imagine. Do your do your melons do pretty good? I'm assuming they would. Yeah. Yeah, they'll do pretty good. Like I said, because the strawberries and the melons, and they're in our backyard where we kind of have like that patio overlay, so a lot more shade throughout the day. Um, and our front yard garden where our raised beds are, it's all sun all day. As soon as the sun comes up, to as soon as the sun goes down. Um, and that's where I got the idea last year. And I was like, hey, you need to build a pergola. And he was like a pergola for your raised bed. And I was like, I need it for my vegetables. Everything is like my broccoli, my cauliflower, lettuces, herbs, everything just bolts right away. Like as soon as we get a hot day, it goes from like 60 degrees to like 90. And then it's like, oh, it's time to bolt. And I'm like, oh, it's not time to bolt. And the pergola has been sufficient, you think though? Like, cause I know some people use shade cloth. Have you ever got, have you guys ever tried that? Or just the pergola has sufficient? We have tried the shade cloth, but I always joke, like, we're the windy city, not yeah. Chicago. So go. that just, yes. like, it goes. Yes. yes. So the pergola was, like, our compromise to not lose it into the neighbor's yard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We And that's why, we're like, we don't, I don't have to use shade cloth, but we have to have our hail cloth. And if people are always <laughs> like, we'll just put a sheet on a stake. And I'm like, you don't understand. It blows 80 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. So like it has everything is like very permanent. Um, when we mm-hmm. visited, we visited uh, homestead friends back east earlier this year, and Christian and I were just like walked around with our mouth hanging open, like very usable properties that they have, but 
like the stuff that they use as buildings and, and structures, like it would not last. It would just blow away here. But it's yeah. like yeah. kind of cool. They don't have to build it as hefty as we do because yeah. it's, just, yeah. oh, it's just fascinating. I'm like, there is such a place where the wind doesn't blow, but I do not live there. Right. <laughs> so, Tell us where that is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So, okay. So we have pergolas, we have mulch, you're uh, recycling water, which I think is super yes. cool. You're probably way more mindful of water than like someone like me is, which I yeah. think is something I could be better at not being sloppy uh, with water usage. Um, let's talk about fruit trees because I'm I'm dying to know what, what kind of trees do you have? What's your strategy there? So we have like uh, over a hundred different trees. Yeah. And you could, yeah, you could grow awesome. it. And I had to dig all the holes. So it was yeah. a lot. But, uh, but we have everything from stone fruit, peaches, apricots, figs, pomegranates. Uh, I've tried exotic stuff that I, I tried everything, but some yeah. of it doesn't work. The banana did. I tried cherimoyas, mangoes, and uh, basically the the ones that do the best are like the peaches, um, the figs. If figs do really good out here, that's yeah. like uh, it grow. They grow like weeds. Mm -hmm. So that was one that I focused a lot on when I first got into it. I did the research, and it's like these are like weeds. You can't they can't die. And I went crazy about a whole bunch. So I think we have like forty varieties oh, of fig yeah. trees on the property. And uh, California is unique. Yeah, we yes. yeah we use those every year. They're 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 good if you've never had one. But in California, we have something that most other states I don't think other states have is a fig wasp. So some of the figs that you can't grow in California won't get pollinated. But we have a fig wasp that pollinates the figs, so we can get different varieties that you can't get a lot of places. Yeah, like my favorite is the Desert King. And, you know, we're talking about moving and we've done all of this in the desert. And so that's what's the hardest thing is like leaving this behind for somebody else and and starting over from scratch. And I was like, could we take our desert king with us? And he's like, there's no fig wasp. I'm like, can we get like a, you know, like butterflies? Can we get like a fig wasp like kit? And I can yeah. just like, I'll be done yeah. with it. People have tried, but I don't think they've succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I and did not figs, know that was a thing. Yeah. And they're so it's, different from, you know, figs that you would buy in the store. Like figs themselves are, I think, good for what, three days? Yeah, yeah. after when they're ripe, they're, they go bad so fast. But once you have one, it's, uh, I don't know how else to describe, but eating like a, a ball of jelly uh, off the tree, that's the best way to describe it. And they're good. That sounds good. And uh, the, the trees, I mean, that's the one thing that they require a lot of water, but mm -hmm. we've, we don't give them, we soak it. We do like one huge watering and just really just drench the ground. And then they're good for like 14 days. So you don't have to water them every day. You could just in the summer when it's really hot, probably once a week, but in the springtime and all winter, you know, a lot of them are deciduous trees. So they don't need any water, even though we don't get none, they survive. And then we just hit them probably every two weeks for the most part and just really soak them and they do great. Which helps with water too, because you're not watering on a daily basis yeah. and wasting that water going from tree to tree, yes. but you're giving it that deep soaking and then mulching so yeah, that hopefully locks in the moisture for, you know, in, in the peak of summer, I would say, I mean, the worst that we've had to do is maybe twice in one week. And that's if we have a super hot, hot yeah, summer, um, but that, that mulch and really locks in the moisture to where we've just locked that down where we're like, okay, we know once a week we hit the backyard once a week, we're in the front yard um, and really growing things that um, I guess 
reach our climate well, like they, they like that heat. So things like, you know, bananas, like they can do well in the heat. Yeah, It's the winter time that really gets us and starts killing things off. Like our passion vine we yeah. had that we could not get it to survive the winter. We even drew, grew kiwi out here for, I think, yeah. three years. Yeah. I was able to keep it alive. And then yeah. I got kind of lazy with trying to protect it and it didn't make it. But We got snow that year. Yeah, that <laughs> we, we never get a lot of snow. But the one time we did and I wiped it out. Have you had a banana harvest yet? No. Not yet. And, Awesome. Yeah, we. <laughs> I'm thinking about digging it up and taking it with us. Take it with yeah, you. totally, totally. How about avocados? Can you do avocados? Those mm. are very difficult, but mm. I haven't tried because I I talked to too many people that live around here that have tried, and those they need the protection from uh, the sun a lot of. I guess they they can't mm. handle the heat. So, okay. but there's a trick to that. So our climate, like where we're at, is in the desert. But if you drive just down the hill. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like their zone is nine, be like so nine and ten. So we could literally drive an hour, yeah, if that. It's like we're and all they're the everywhere on the street, and you can just like pick as you're walking. There's you know citrus that you can pick as you're walking. Oh, oh so, yeah. yeah, we're like we can't do it here, but it yeah. doesn't mean that they're going to eat all of theirs, you know. So, so you're you know, still you getting can... local or regional. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Without the big footprint of driving it across country. Like I yeah, and, and I actually ran into an issue too. Like, because we're so close, I, I reached out to a beekeeper. I really wanted bees. Um, and he actually brought some bees from down the hill up here to us. And like I said, there is zone nine or 10 and there's blooms and flowers and just an abundance. And so as soon as he brought up a hive up here, they were like, see you later. Like yeah. two weeks later, they were like gone. All of the bees, I opened the box and I was like, well, they didn't like that we didn't have yeah. flowers. <laughs> and so I had to start chasing local hives and like doing ads on Facebook and saying like, if you have a hive, I'll come get it. And that's how I was able to start building my hives um, up a little bit because, you know, they were used to the climate here and they knew how to find the nectar sources they needed while they were here in the desert. But just an hour or so away, they were like, nope, we'll yeah. go back that way. Yes. I think that is such an important lesson is adapting your homestead, whatever it is, the animals, the plants, the bees to the climate. Um, yes. I have a, I did an episode. I haven't published it yet. It'll be coming for those of you who are listening. Um, I have tried for years to grow apple trees here and I've killed all of them like in violent deaths. <laughs> and I gave up and I was like, I can't grow apple trees. But then I talked to this apple, this uh, orchardist, and he was like, you're growing the wrong types of apple trees. You're trying to grow like temperate Mm -hmm. apple trees and you need to grow like the 50 below apple trees. And I'm like, didn't know there was such a thing. So like just, I'm learning, even though I've been doing this forever, like I have to continually adapt what animal species and what plants I'm growing, even like what type of tomatoes. And I think that's a great example with the bees that you can still have bees. You just had to do it a little bit different. Yes. And same with like hummingbirds and, you know, we get the butterflies that come through for their, um, what is that hibernation or like, I don't know where they're going south. (laughs) Yeah. where they're like traveling. Um, and so we've learned that instead of just growing things that are important to us, really, um, using the land and getting back to what it used to be. So I'll grow things like, you know, um, the California poppy. And so I'll see an abundance of wildlife. And even with my lavender, we have um, one of those like hummingbird feeders, the hummingbird for years, I have not had to change it because it doesn't want it, does not want the synthetic or the sugar or anything. 
it wants my lavender and it wants those sources of wildflowers. And so that's been really fun to not only um, bless my family with an abundance, but remembering like we're sharing this with wildlife. And because we've been building homes, we're pushing them out. And then we're wondering why like food shortages or, you know, just the the things that we deal with with our climate and making sure that we're also um, making space for them. So that's been really fun. And, and even in homeschooling, I'm able to teach my kids like this is this flower is actually grown abundantly here or um, for our Joshua trees. To me, I mean, they're beautiful in a way, but we see so many of them. I'm like, I do not want to see a Joshua tree again, but knowing that this is the only place that the moth is able to come and is able to pollinate these Joshua trees, it's, it's a gift to have those here. And so making sure that like we have those spaces available for that wildlife is also really important. And I don't think I would have had that perspective had I not, you know, dived into homesteading here where we are. Yes. I think that's one of the reasons I think homesteading is so important right now is it helps us be better conservationists in our own way. Yes. And just getting back to, you know, I never cared or thought about what was native to the prairie until I started homesteading. Nice. And then I had to start thinking about well, what animals are supposed to be here, what plants are supposed to be here. And it's good for everything mm-hmm. when we're working with nature. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So animals, you mentioned like, you know, you're not able to graze. So you're bringing in grains and stuff, but what kind of animals are you able to have? Um, so we did have a pig at one point, um, but I was pregnant and it was really hard to chase around. Um, and she loved our dog food. And so, um, we actually had to rehome her cause that was hard. You know, she, she wanted so much food and out here, there's just not a ton of sources to constantly be feed, feeding a pig that much food. Um, and so we've really stuck with birds, um, which are not my husband's favorite. <laughs> I like the chicken eggs, but he she the loves food. the ducks. Yeah. I love ducks. I don't know why. I think they are the cutest, sweetest. They're messy. And his words are they're stinky and useless. I don't like their <laughs> eggs. Otherwise, I see yeah. a use for them or I'll eat it. Sure, sure. For me, like they're just so fun. Um, and like I said in the beginning, I always felt like some sort of like animal cruelty if I was, you know, caring for an animal and had it in my care and it wasn't the proper, um, hibern- or what is that, uh, climate or whatever that they would actually live in. Like we don't have a pond, but, um, making sure that I found ways to make them feel at home and serve them well. So I'll get this, you know, huge pool in the summertime for them. We provide a ton of shade and they have this huge shed. That's a, a chicken coop. Um, and just making sure that there's always, um, space away from the sun because a lot of our birds like birds in general chickens they're gonna overheat faster than they're gonna like die in the winter um and so just being really really aware of that and making sure they always have a water source always have shade um and then when i do water the ducks since i'm filling up a pool or a pond um, i'll make sure that i do that in the evening time and even go a couple of days before i refill it Um, as much as i want to refill it every single day I'll try to reuse that water somewhere if I can, because again, being just resourceful with what we're using is really important for us as well. And then turkeys, we have a few turkeys as well. Oh yeah. They're fun. Yeah. So that your birds are doing good. I mean, with, with your considerations of shade and like your pool, yeah. I have a pool, yeah. so I don't have a pond for my, our water animals, waterfowl. So, but they do, they do, they handle the heat. Okay. 
Yeah, they do. So I actually got one of those um, plastic like ponds from Lowe's that was like a hundred bucks. And um, I just fill that like completely up. It's not one that I dug in, but I have like little steps that go up to it and I'll fill it up in, you know, one day and then it'll last them about a week where they're just like splashing and they can kind of go under the water. Cause I, I notice like for me, I love the ducks and having those short little, you know, pools, they're like, I can't, I can't swim yeah. under this. Yeah. So once, you know, once a week I'll fill up their big one. And then even that, like, we'll take some of that water and use it for some of the fruit trees because they have, you know, used the restroom, done those things. And that is, you know, essentially some fertilizer and benefits to the fruit tree. So that works out. He just does not like the smell of the ducks. So yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to outweigh it, but they're my favorite. I honestly, um, our main goal this year, if we were going to stay here was actually to bring in some sheep. And that was going to be my process of caring for the sheep, processing their wool and dyeing it and doing all of that stuff. And then my daughter and I would actually start crocheting and making our garments from our own wool. So I'd really, really love that side of homesteading, but we decided that, you know, we're kind of going to, we're going to pass this on to somebody else and start completely from scratch in another state. And my first two things on the list would be a cow and sheep. So we could either milk or get wool. And so we'll be heading into a whole new season of homesteading and, and just starting over in a new sense from, you know, from scratch. So what prompted the move? Um, kind of a lot of things. My desire to always, um, I have always wanted that farm lifestyle and and to leave the desert. And it wasn't something that was put on his heart. And so I just started praying over time. Like if it was our um, calling to leave, that the Lord would kind of put that on his heart. And so um, he runs his own business and we came to a position here in California that we could actually benefit being in another state. Mm -hmm. So we just started looking at other states and what they had to offer and, and just the price difference in how a homestead would be able to be ran compared to here and into another state, like our water usage, like just our utilities and how sustainable we could really make a homestead for us in another place. Um, we started outweighing those costs more and more. And I just started getting more and more excited. I was like, okay, I'll put everything on hold if we, you know, want to walk through this door. And he was like, all right, let's see if our house will sell, if somebody is interested in homesteading out here. And so um, our house is going to close in about two weeks and we're, we have no idea where we're going. So you don't, you you haven't found your, your dream homestead yet? Nope. And we don't even know, we don't even know the state yet. You We're like, do you want to come to Wyoming? That is on the table. Um, so there's a couple states we haven't really shared with everybody what we've been considering, but Wyoming, Idaho, we've even looked into Utah because we're used to that desert climate. Um, yes. Oklahoma. Yeah. What else? Oklahoma's probably first on the list. Yeah. Oklahoma's looking like where we're going to head first yeah. and just sit in that. So we're in a position now, like I said, where he can step away from his business here in California and we could just kind of go on this adventure with our kids and see like where we feel at home and then start from the ground up. And it's going to be completely different because here we did the garden, we did the fruit trees, we did the birds. And now my perspective is let's 
Since we know how to do that, let's dive into something completely unknown and new to us. Let's get a milking cow or let's start with sheep um, and then, you know, move into that process of learning how to process wool and crochet because um, I'm passionate about that. Yeah. But it's going to look completely different for us, which is exciting and also scary because yeah, scary. there's so many aspects of homesteading and it would be easy to look at all that we've done here and not want to give that to somebody else. But like, no, we did all this hard work. But in reality, it's been such a blessing as people have found my account who live here or who have moved here from different places of California. And they're like, I didn't know this was possible. Yes. And that's been so rewarding for me is like showing people that anything is possible. You just have to take that small step. And then that small step is going to inch you a little bit closer and closer to that dream that you've wanted. And for us, I don't think if we ever would have started the homestead about five years ago, I don't think we would be pursuing this route of actually finding our forever dream farm and homestead. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah. And there's just so much I love about that. The, the first piece that stands out to me is that you didn't just sit around and wait for the perfect what you perceived was the perfect situation. You just made it work with what you had. And then yeah. once you had it working, you didn't stay like in your comfort zone. Cause now, I mean, I'm sure it's comfortable there. I mean, it's the desert, but you still yeah, know nice. what works and what doesn't. And now you're like, you know what? We're ready to stretch and we're ready to grow. We're going to go do the scary, uncomfortable thing for that next level of learning. And I think that is such a good lesson for everybody. Yes. And even as we were doing this, so many people were like, well, you're just going to have rabbits come and eat everything or, you know, that tree will never grow in the desert. Don't you know? And, and he's been able to keep a banana tree alive for three years in the desert. It takes work. You have to mulch it. You have to pay attention to that fruit tree and make sure that it's still thriving. Um, but not letting somebody limit you to what they believe to be true and, and pushing those limits, like you said, because, we never would have gotten to this place and we, we wouldn't be pursuing those dreams if we just automatically said, well, that dream will never happen for us. Yeah. It's walking those little steps and you don't know what's ahead. You don't, there's no, it's yes. like dark up ahead, but you just know the lights shining right here in this step in front of you. You're just taking yes. those steps. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Oh, so good. And I love that quote. What is it? The person who says it can't be done shouldn't inter- interrupt the person who's doing it. That's what you guys, <laughs> that reminds me of your banana story. Oh. People love I to love tell you it. all the things you can't do. Oh, that won't work. I'm like, well, have you ever tried it? Yes. Watch me. I will prove it. Yeah. Will make it exactly. Work. Yeah. I think even our neighbors are like, how are your berry bushes still alive right now? And we're like. Yeah, they said the birds will get them all. The birds will get them all. Yeah. But hey, we get them too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anything is possible. Anything is possible. So, oh, one totally random question that's out of sequence, but I'm dying to know raised beds in the desert because I have raised beds here in Wyoming and people ask me constantly can they work in the desert or do they dry out faster because they're elevated what's been your experience with that oh yes so for us in the desert our dirt is concrete so when he's trying to dig um, a hole for a fruit tree he's got a pick and we've watered that ground for a good amount of time and then he's picking it again and then we're watering it for a good amount of time and picking it again so raised beds are kind of essential for us out here um, and something that we've learned is kind of that, what do you call it? Hugo, Hugo culture, Hugo yeah. culture, where you're just, you're putting those um, logs at the bottom. Yes. So we have a wood burning stove. And so wood is just abundant for us, you know, throughout the winter, if we have leftover, when we're building our raised beds, putting those logs at the very bottom 
will help lock in that moisture if you're overwatering your beds and then throughout the day it's going to start dispensing some of that water as it's you know the soil's drying up and then something that Chad's always been like big on um because as a mom in homeschooling I'll go out in the middle of the day like I forgot to garden or water the garden and he's like you need to water at night because it's just going to dry up or you're going to burn those plants and so he's always yeah. been really good at at reminding me let's do that in the evening time so they can recover all night and they're not burning the roots aren't you know going through shock where they're hot and then getting a ton of water and then getting dried out again so um again with just being responsible with the water usage and and watering either early in the morning late at night and then finding some way of mulching or providing that yeah. wood underneath i love that yeah I dabbled with Google culture many years ago and then I got sidetracked, but I think it's such a smart, smart, it is. smart thing to do. And it, and it is a great way to fill up your tall beds, like just to get some mats yeah. in the bottom because dirt can be expensive. If you're oh yeah. yeah, exactly. The only problem is like that middle layer of that, like greenery, those dried leaves. We don't have those. We go yeah. from <laughs> wood to dirt. <laughs> Straight up wood. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh my goodness. So let's see, how do we want to close this? Any last bits of advice for people who are homesteading in the desert or looking at maybe moving to the desert? What would you tell them? I don't know. Got any good advice, well, babe? Tell them they can do it. They can grow stuff and they need to try mm-hmm. because look what we're doing. We got hundred, I don't know, over 130 or maybe 150 fruit trees total. Yeah. And uh, they're all green right now and there's fruit on all of them. So, Oh, fences. I would say that that is our biggest help. Um, And even around his fruit trees, using that cattle wire to keep rabbits from gnawing at the bottom of the fruit trees and trunks, like really trying to set your, your, um, your trees, like your, your garden, like all that you're doing on your homestead, set it up for success. You are going to have those rodents that come and go, and you're going to have to kind of learn how to coexist with them, but also just remembering, like set yourself up for success by protecting what you're doing. Because Jill, you know, like starting a garden, it's a really big startup when you're adding 12 raised beds or six raised beds. Like if you have to start small, start small, but also take into consideration like what you're going to need to protect it. Because if you plant a garden and you're super excited and you lose it the next week, you're going to be so bummed out and just having that protection first and that encouragement, seeing those plants grow is going to build on even more encouragement and you're going to keep going with that. So always set yourself up for success. Yes. And sometimes it does require more work up front. I know that my Christian has always like brought me back to earth with that because I'm like, let's just do it fast. Take five minutes. Let's get this going. And he's like, no, no, we're going to do it right. Because if we just throw it together, we're going to regret it later. So I think that's a great yes. example. Build the fence, even though it sucks and it's going to take a little longer up front, you're, you'll be happy in the long run. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and like I said, you're going to get those harvests that you want. Um, you don't want to go out to your garden and see that a bunny came, you know, at 5 a.m. and had breakfast. Yes. You're going to be like, well, I'm done. Yep. And, and you're going to give up and throw in the towel. But if you, if you do that, those hard steps first, Um, and you test the limits and just go for it, like you're going to have an abundance and a harvest and it's going to be so rewarding that you end up with a hundred fruit trees. Like there came a point where I was like, we got another fruit tree delivery today. (laughs) And he was like, it gets addicting when you start seeing you do it. 
You're like, I need to get this one. I want to try to grow this one. And the next thing you know, I'm ordering all kinds of bare root trees online. Yeah. Just another order. That's all. Just one more. Yeah. Like four different orchards because, you know, he would just order while he was gone at work. And, and I'd be like, did you order more trees? Are they accidentally sending us these? And he's like, what answer do you want? Yeah. It was an accident for sure. Total accident. On their part. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh man, guys. So good. And just a great example for anyone listening that your homestead doesn't have to look like mine. Your homestead doesn't have to look like Tara and Chad's. We're all going to have good things about our locations and not so good things. And it's just about overcoming and getting creative, but this is possible anywhere. So, so inspiring. Where can folks find you guys online if they want to follow along with your journey? Yes. So um, my account is She's Rooted Home. Um, And again, it's all about that desire to just root yourself in God's word and root yourself in this season of homemaking. Like I said, crochet, sourdough, gardening, you know, the farm lifestyle, like whatever that is, there's so many different aspects to that traditional life. Um, and, And you can find joy if you're in an apartment and you just have a kitchen and you're working with sourdough, or if you're crocheting, you know, a sweet gift for your babies. Like there's so many different aspects of that. So I share a lot of that on my account as she's rooted home. And then he's kind of like the fruit tree expert. So I made him create yeah, his I have own. A on, he's rooted home. <laughs> he's rooted home. I need to get more active nice. on that. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's yeah. super easy. You can kind of get to see both of our perspectives um, on, you know, just, building a life that you love right where you're at. And for me, it's inside the home for him. He's usually outside the home and working with the fruit trees, but you can find both of us on Instagram. And then my blog is she's rootedhome.com. Awesome. So everybody go check them out. Give them a follow. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This was so good. So much good stuff. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Yes.